Hello and welcome to Real Bible Stories. Join us as we deep dive into the historical, religious, cultural, political, and emotional context surrounding the real lives of real people in the Bible and the stories we've all grown to love. I'm your host, Imran Ward. I'm joined by my wife, Selena. Hey. And our teacher, Ryan Brown. What's going on, guys? So for this initial episode, I just want to do some brief introductions, and I would like you, Ryan, to give us a brief overview of your approach to teaching the Bible. Sounds good. All right. So a little bit about myself. I was born in Miami, Florida, uh, raised there all my life, and then ended up joining the Marine Corps. So when joined the Marine Corps, ended up going to school in Savannah State University in Georgia, and then uh, became an officer and commissioned. After that, I married my lovely wife here, Selena, who is joining us on this podcast. So we've been married for, what, six, seven years now? No, four years. You're about to get in trouble. Yeah, four <laughs> years now. And uh, But we've, been, we've known each other for like longer than anything. But married for four years, and we actually are, went through like our roughest time um, in our marriage in this last like six to eight months. And so since that point, I personally have just been really deep diving into my faith and just growing and, and learning as much as I can about this relationship, my relationship with my eternal father. And that has just really opened up the depth in my marriage and, and, and really shown me how to love my wife better and how to love her in the way that Christ loved the church, which is what we're really expected to do. And so that's a little bit about me right now. We'll learn more over the course of this podcast, but I'm going to toss it over to uh, my wife here to give her a little one minute testimony. Yeah, thanks. Um, I was also born and raised in Miami, Florida, spent there like all my life until we got married. And then the Marine Corps just really sent, out, sent us all over the place. Um, I grew up in the Spanish church and I didn't really understand much, to be honest. And so my relationship with Christ was um, pretty shallow. I, I'd say it was um, more of a selfish relationship. It's like, what what can God do? for me um so going off to college and just really deep diving more into what it means to be a christian i'm learning how like to do that transition from like selfishness to how to be like selfless that's kind of where i'm at you know what's interesting about that is um we're like that in other relationships right so you know as as you're growing and trying to find your life partner and your spouse you um can tend to be very selfish in certain relationships, right? And what happens is yeah. out of that, you break up, right? And you're like, okay, um, do it again. I'm selfish. You break up. So eventually you get to a place where I'm like, oh, the, actually, I love this person, but I'm also selfless and making marriage work, right? And then it works out. What's interesting is, you know, it's not that way with God. Um, we, we, we're selfish, we're selfish, we're selfish. And in our worldly relationships, when we would, you know, break up, it would... Um, you, you had another option, but we really have another option with God. Right, right. God, God says, he's like, all right, I'll be patient. Even though you're being unfaithful to me again, I'm going to remain to be faithful to you and how he just constantly pursues us to, um, get us to that point where, um, where you, you know, you are now, and of course you're not a complete product, but we're growing, right? That's, that's, um, one of the things I love about God and, and his patience, you know, but yeah. also God talks about marriage so much in the Bible about his relationship to the mm -hmm. church, like Christ's relationship to the church and that that should be emulated in our marriages. He paints the relationship well. the same way. Yep. Yeah. And it's that, that service up front and, and 
I don't know, maybe we don't teach it as, as well out in society, but um, once you really start to understand that, that maybe change yourself before you try and change your spouse, maybe take a look at what you can do to better the, the marriage or the relationship before trying to just blame the other person. And there's so much beauty that can come out of that. And, and, and when that spouse or the significant other sees the effort, uh, it, can, it can cause such wonderful things to happen. Yeah. And I mean, even identity. So if you think about, um, we'll just put the term Christian aside for right now. You know, what are some of the terms that we use for ourselves? Saved, redeemed, right? Um, but that's, that's not the identity he gives us. If you look at the terms he uses, what does he call us? Bride, like bride. Yeah. co-heir, um, ch- children of God. I mean, those are the identities he gives us. We give ourselves, I'm saved, I'm redeemed. You are, but I mean, that's kind of like, you're, like, you're, 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 def- you're still defining yourself based off who you once were, right? Like he says, I'm, yes, you are saved and I'm saving you though to a purpose. And you, but your true identity in that salvation is you're my bride. And I think that is far more beautiful and something I don't think is painted enough. And I, I, the reason that we even got down this track, you you just, your testimony reminded me of that relationship of, of just a, a, a romance, right? Um, this divine romance that we're in where in the really realm, you know, it's finding that person where in, in, in the realm with God and our relationship with him, it, um, it's us who are maturing and you can see us as we mature and how that relationship begins to actually, you know, produce fruit. So, yeah, definitely. So, um, I want to hand it off to you then, Ryan, uh, to just go ahead and tell us a little bit about, about your life, your testimony, your faith, and how you ended up, uh, teaching here in, uh, Palms Church. So a little bit about Ryan though, I want, I want to make sure I say that he is the director of discipleship, uh, here at Palms Church in 29 Palms. I'm a member of Palms Church and so is my wife. We uh, currently serve here. So, but Ryan also serves as uh, one of the deacons for the church as well. So he uh, leads our adult Bible study, which is how I got exposed to him and his teaching method. And, and it's the reason why I was like, wow, this is really fantastic stuff. And we need to get this out to the world because it's not just this is what the Bible says. It's like, well, this is all the history. This is the context that surrounds what the Bible says and why the authors said it the way that they did which just gives a deeper and, and fuller understanding of the Bible. So I'm going to hand it off to him. He's going to be talking to us for a little bit about, about his life and uh, his teaching. Yeah. So, um, well, first, thanks for even putting this all together. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll be a little bit more winded, I guess. Um, but first, let me just, if I could give my little testimony of faith, because um, I think my story is actually one that is very um, shared by many. Um you know, I, I grew up in the church, and as I grew in the church, I, um, I guess you could say I was a, I was a Christian by culture, um, but not truly by, defined by fruit, submission, or repentance. And um, as I grew in the church, um, you know, I, I certainly had a solid, sincere faith and belief in in, in Christ and, um, you know, the the abstracts, you know, existence of God. Um, but I certainly wasn't surrendered over. Um, and, and and to be frank, I mean, when you're saved at a very young age, there's not a whole lot to be repentant of at that time. And I really think that the gospel in itself shines brightest in contrast to 
um, our brokenness, our sin, our hurts. Um, that's where it really kind of gives its value to us, but also where testimony has value, right? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, um, grew up in the church, you know, was engaged with it, but it really wasn't certainly not a top priority for me. Um, you know, after high school, I, I too joined the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I, I enlisted, it was right after the invasion and, um, I decided just, uh, I didn't feel like it was my time, um, you know, to serve my country as, you know, many before me had. Um, so, so I joined and during that time though, I mean, I really lived for myself. Um, and the cool thing about God is that he, um, it doesn't feel cool at the time. Um, but his patience for us, because, um, we get into this idea that I can be God of myself and we don't like the idea of another God above me. And what God does is gives us the space and has the patience to allow us to go be our own God. Um, he says, okay, you think you could be a better God than me, (laughs) you know, go do it. And that was me. Um, I knew, I understood what his boundaries and designs were for marriage and sex and, um, you know, proper behavior. And I understood it. I just didn't submit to it. I, I, I thought my way would be better and slept with who I want. I, um, drank as much as I want. I, um, you know, acted the way I want. But the other thing too, though, is that it, it also exposes to us, um, I would say fundamentally when, um, if I could give an example. So, so God created the law of gravity mm-hmm. and he created trees and, um, both are beautiful. Um, and certainly I can't create trees or any sort of laws of physics. And, but what I can do is climb the tree and appreciate it. Right. As, as we climb a tree and appreciate that creation, what God has done, he also sets boundaries and he says, Hey, climb the tree. I want you to enjoy it. Just don't climb higher than 10 feet because if you climb higher than 10 feet, um, and you fall, you know, it, you may knock the wind out of you, but you're not going to really hurt yourself. Right. But if you climb higher than that, you fall, you can break bones. And if you climb even higher than that, you could fall and even kill yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, so he sets these laws and these boundaries for us. And I think growing up in the church for many, we kind of view that as, you know, they're just a bunch of, you know, stigmatic rules or, or dogmatic rules that, um, are there to oppress me. And you, coming to the slow realization that um, that law is there not just for me, but for my benefit, my own good. Yeah, definitely. So what he does, um, and I would say this is my story, is that he allowed me to climb the tree as high as I wanted. And I kept falling down, kept falling down. It doesn't matter how much I try to deny that there's a law of gravity. Um, He's going to let me uh, climb the tree and fall down and hurt. And he says, hey, I told you not to climb the tree that high. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's a very basic... Um, you know, as a parent, you know, you, you experience this all the time. Like I told you not to do that. You didn't listen. You did it. This is the the repercussion. Just listen to me. Right. Um, so he gives us that space and freedom and, um, I was there and for me, it really kind of came full circle when I was living how I wanted, um, went on a particular, one of my combat deployments to Iraq was, um, especially rough. It, It wasn't just that it was kinetic. Um, but lost a lot of friends on that one, close friends, right? So, I mean, I, I lost fr- friends, I think, on every one of my combat deployments, but or I knew people, you know, I knew who they were, but this particular one, I lost three. You know, somebody I had been in boot camp with, another who was in my fire team, which up to that point, I mean, every fight I was in at that time, 
you know, he was right there by my side. Um, and then another who, um, was in my company, but, um, me and him were just really good friends outside of, of work. Mm. And, um, you know, you had some of that going on. Um, just the, the nature of combat. I mean, people who haven't been in it, I don't think they, you know, because of video games, the way it's depicted in Hollywood, but you know, the, the, the whole being part of a process and the act of killing in itself is a very emotional event. Yeah. Um, and it, it does a number on the soul, you know, in it, that, that in itself, but because I was also living my way, um, was about to have a baby out of wedlock, um, on that deployment, got to a point where I was actually excited and joyful for it. And then end for up, the baby, for the baby. Okay. Um, this is when I was deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then end up having a miscarriage, got oh, yeah. back dealing with a lot of combat thing, a lot of, um, psychological, right. Just, there was just a lot going on. Um, found out that there was some betrayals and infidelity and romance. Um, a lot of pressure, right. I just, everything seems to kind of be collapsing. Um, go to friends, go to family. I need somebody to talk to. But I'm like, hey, I, I want discretion with it. I just, I need someone to talk to about it. They didn't keep discretion, so now it's out there. In the out world. there, the whole world knows. And I just felt betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. I'm having all these, um, you know, other issues that I'm trying to deal with, with all these other stresses, and everything just seemed to collapse. My life just seemed to collapse on itself. Yeah. Um, the only other people I could really go to were, you know, other. Uh, other Marines I had served with, but to be honest, they had nothing to give me because they were going through the same thing. We were all just trying to tread water and, and keep above, you know, our heads above water and, and not drown. And um, we all pretty much followed the same path where you're dealing with that. You, you have struggles. So drinking every night. I mean, I was probably just under a 12 pack a night. Um, a, a beer? Yeah. Just Oh my goodness. Just cr- but everybody, it didn't seem it yeah. didn't seem abnormal because everybody was that yeah, way. Yeah, I can definitely like vouch for that culture in the Marine Corps too. It is. It's, it's, it's still uh, like that. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and I would say even then, like, because a lot of the guys that were ahead of me, they were the guys who took Baghdad, so they almost even encouraged that kind. Of, the point mm-hmm. is, is that um, I was not in a healthy place, and it was probably the darkest, um, most lonely, and depressed time of my life, and it all kind of came to a head where I was. I'm um, driving around. I was already probably six or seven deep. Um, just driving around, just hurting, you yeah. know. And I came to a point where I, and I don't want to be over dramatic with this statement here, but a thought had kind of come into my mind. Well, maybe suicide would just be better. Yeah. And I, I never seriously considered it in, in the sense of like, I, I think I go we, out getting the, the I gun, think we but underappreciate as a society how easy it is to get down that slippery slope if mm-hmm. if you don't have the support to really keep things together especially for like military members or like police officers people that are in these situations where they're exposed to some of the most depraved parts of human nature and then to have to live with that and have the people around you not really understand what that means um yeah because it, so one it's, of the it's, I, it's, from my perspective it's not it doesn't it is support structure but there you know, one of the hardest things of that, I guess, that time coming out of the combat, though, is it's not that you're necessarily seeing firsthand experiencing things that you, you're not coming to a realization of, wow, this is what men are capable of. Um, you really are also coming to a understanding of this is what I'm capable of. Yeah. And you don't like it, you know. And so as you're struggling with that, then there's 
you know, all that stuff and all those stressors were going on. So, you know, the thought came through. It wasn't serious in the sense of being seriously considered, but the fact that the thought even came into my brain. In like a meaningful way. Right. In a serious, like a, not like a just pondering. Like it was a, I'm hurting so bad that I'm starting to go down that track. I stopped myself. I was like, you know, when was the last time I prayed? You know, kind of going back to my faith of the childhood. And this is while you're um, driving six six beers deep that this is all happening? I At this point, I had actually parked off to the side. I was just oh, in okay. the car drinking. But, okay. um, but, you know, I was angry. I had a very um, angry but honest, I would say, conversation with God. And I, I stopped and I was like, you know, I haven't prayed in a while. And then I was just kind of like, well, why should I pray? And then I just started unloading frustrations and anger and... Really just, it kind of culminated to a point where I said, you know, God, where are you? Yeah. You know, if I keep, I keep hearing of all these stories of where you are and how good you are and um, how you come through, but where are you now? Because if there was, I didn't say this, but you know, if there was ever a time I needed him, it was at this, right, at this right time. Now. And this was probably the first time I could say I, I received a very clear message from the spirit and you know, I don't mean like you know, there wasn't like an audible voice or nothing. It was just, you know, reflecting within your heart and your yeah. you know, your thoughts. And I, I know it wasn't me because it was not in the, it, it came from a, a place where it wasn't where I was mm-hmm. in my mind. I, it just was, I know it was beyond me, but you know, I just cried out, God, where are you? And very clearly get the message. I'm right where you put me. And I just kind of get this vision of like, you know, the, those little uh, building blocks that toddlers use. Mm-hmm. I just kind of had this vision of a big stack of building blocks. And like one of them represented God and he was all the way at the bottom and everything above it were just the things I prioritized above him. Mm-hmm. And I, I started reflecting on that and I realized everything that I had prior prioritized above God had been really knocked down. Yeah. So at this point, so you were at this point, because of your actions, not God's inaction. Well, is by my priority and trying to live my own way. And really what happened, I may only feel three feet tall right now, but at least God's now at the very top. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's true. You're in your car and you're praying. Right. And you're like, you're crying out to him. Because everything else had been, had crumbled and away. Yeah. And um, that is the point that I would say I had my actual first, most sincere repentance. And it always kind of creates this weird, you know, dynamic of, um, you know, when are you saved? When, when is salvation? You know, people say, well, it's it's when you come to faith, you know, and it's I don't think it's as clean as that because um, when you read, um, you know, the Gospels and what the message is, um, you know, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Um, Christ shows up, repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Um, when Peter gives his sermon in Acts 2, gives this really long sermon, and um, it's great. But the people in the crowd, they say, well, oh, great, what do we do now? And his simple response is repent, right? So everything yeah. was always tied to repentance. And I think biblically, and I think what's also true of many who maybe weren't, weren't didn't grow up in the church, they their point of coming to faith in Christ is also their point of repentance. I think kind of a an interesting thing for some of us who grew up in the church is that I'll have a point of faith. Cause I mean, even demons knew and believed in, in yeah. Christ knew who he was. What made them different was they didn't repent. You know what I mean? So I came to this point of, of faith and belief 
in that sense, belief in Christ and who he is and, and what he came to accomplish. But it wasn't until much later that I actually had a point of sincere repentance, you know. And it was at that point I would really say is when I, you know, to repent biblically is literally to turn around. Yeah, that's the it's the, the beginning. Right. And that, that was for me the beginning of when I actually began to turn it around. And it wasn't immediate. I mean, I still, you know, went into... Uh, still behaved a lot of the same ways. The difference was, though, is I felt far more convicted. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it was at that point the Spirit really began to to start to, to disciple and, and sanctify me and, and a lot of those things. And we just started knocking things out. You know, there had to be a lot of healing in certain regards. There had to be a lot of forgiveness in other regards and reconciliation and other relationships. And there was a lot that I was a mess, right? Like, you, you don't just clean up one mess up. You know, you have to start. Yeah, that's what he started yeah. doing with me. And... That got me back on a track. So by the time I was getting out of the Marine Corps, um, where I was then was a strong conviction that I need to start serving um, God in a practical way and um, looking for opportunities for that. We're at this church. You know, I'm on my way out. We have a plan to go to Denver. We have, um, which is where I'm from originally, mm-hmm. and uh, I was going to go go do work out there and um we had our plan, of course, but this. And when you say our plan, this is. Were you married by this point? Yes, you, yes. Me, me and Trisha. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we were we were married by this point, and uh, let's see, we, we had Christian, only Christian. Then um, I have three total: um, Christian, who is ten; Ava, who is seven; and uh, my youngest, Ollie, who is five. Uh, but at this point, Christian was I want to say only he was a toddler, so two or three. And for for context, too, you were finishing up a tour here in Twenty Nine Palms. We just gotten back from and considering staying and, here now. In Twenty Nine Palms, which you ultimately ended up doing, like we're still here. We are. Well, uh, it wasn't the plan, though. It wasn't the plan. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah. But what I would say though is, I started when I began to start serving. Though I, I got this huge call to serve, and um, in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm a grunt, I'm, I'm a marine, and you know, combat hardened, and I'm a leader of men. That's what I need to be doing. I need to be mm-hmm. leading men and adults, and that's what I do. And instead, what he kept popping up was the opportunity is Awana. Go serve children. Yeah. And I'm like, I, So I don't Awana know. is the children's ministry here at, at Palms right. as well. Yes. So. And, and, and I was like, no way. I, I I lead men. I lead warriors, right? And go to children. And that's over and over. Even my wife is like, hey, I think you should go do this. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. gosh, you know, <laughs> like, fine. <laughs> so I start serving in Awana with children and I, a couple things. One, he softened my heart for them. But two, I really, I really um, learned how biblically illiterate I was. When even, I, even the pastors talked about that, like if you want to really know if you know the faith or not, go teach children. Go to children. Kids ask yeah. questions because they ask the those deep questions and they have the common sense. Mm-hmm. So the, they'll make the practical associations immediately. We get lost in our our minds and we get lost in theology and, and a lot of things. Emotional context, experience, right? Kids they pick up on on things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible teaching them, but even the biblical literacy, I mean, I was teaching Trek, which is like the, uh, the middle age group mm-hmm. and they're going around, uh, doing just this game of, um, it was like Bible trivia and then the books of the Bible. And I'm like, I know none of this. I'm like, you know, the 66 of those. Right? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> like, these oh, kids no. <laughs> know far more than I do. And I'm their teacher leader yeah. at that point. Right. Um, and then it came time to where they're like, Hey, we, um, this is my first year. And they're like, Hey, you'd be willing to teach a week. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that that could be cool. I'll I'll try it. 
and um, it was on Revelation, which that's hard. Oh gosh, oh my that's, yeah. that's the first so, one. Yeah, that was the first one. So I thought I had a understanding of what I had memorized and been taught growing up, but I uh, um, go to go to start studying the the passage, and I'm like. There is so much depth here, and there's so much, and it led me on this like thirty hour study. Oh my goodness! You know, leading into that, so um, I started reading and studying my Bible a lot. I, I gained a huge passion for it. I, I identified some mentors to come help me um, grow in it, and I really just realized that um, of all the things I did know, there was so much more that I didn't, and, and yeah. Um, and, you know, I also felt that there, I also, th- you ever feel like um, you're absolutely sure of one thing, but all the things that are surrounding it, you have kind of an issue with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of like interpretation and, and things like that. So I started exploring those out and realizing I had freedom in faith. I had freedom in um, understanding that the way it was taught to me in that one way my entire life, that there's actually a bunch of different ways you could view it. And yeah, there's different interpretations. Right. Um, but then how do you, but at what point though, is there a limit to where well, everybody has an interpretation and I just then just morph, you know, scripture to match my lifestyle, to justify my lifestyle. And how do I now allow that convict me and teach me when you got all these different views? So I mean, I, there I, are very clear rules in some areas. And then there's some areas where it can be interpreted. And, and I guess it's just important to make that delineation. It's like, well, there are things that are definitely said. Well, and there's things that are essential to faith and positions that are essential to faith, and there's things that are not. Mm-hmm. There's not essential. So, um, and I think we're, we're going to do this one of these weeks, but, um, you know, Genesis 1, you know, d- does the age of the earth matter to the gospel? Yeah. I guess some people argue that it's it's like a make or break for them right off the bat, and if they're going to believe everything else. But... Is that the way the scripture puts it, right? Like, I don't know. I don't think it is that, at all, but I'm trying it, to just think that this th- that's what, what I'm saying, though, is that, you know, the age of the earth has zero bearing on the gospel. It, the, the, the earth could be 60 billion years old. It could be six days old. Um, it, it doesn't bear on the, the gospel and what the message in, in that story is, but we make it essential. So that's a non-essential, but we make it essential. Yeah. Um, but then there's other things like... Um, you know, you start telling me, well, you know, Jesus is just a way to God. You know, God manifests himself in different ways, and um, that's just one of the paths up one end of the mountain. And, um, well, no, that's not what Scripture says at all. Christ, no. You know, Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody no comes to the Father except through me, right? That's an essential. Christ is the only way. So, um, you know, yes, being able to delineate between what are the essentials and the non-essentials, but... Um, Coming to a place where, like, you know, this is something that I feel like is commonly believed, but there's a lot of that just doesn't make sense to me. And if it's wrong, there's a curiosity of, well, what's right then? Um, and some of them do have, just because it's not essential doesn't mean it's not important. They do have other practical impacts. But I, I started um, going down that world and realized I had a huge passion for it. So I decided to go get my graduate degree in it. So I went and pursued a Master's of Theological Studies and an MDiv and biblical studies um, and really just pursued my passion on that one because that I was really, it was a toss up between that. What or, a, what a um, 180 though. Yeah. 
What yeah, right, because I was looking at going to get my master's of engineering at that point, and I was like, you know, I, I, I could do without a couple calculus classes. No, I mean a, a 180 from in your car crying out to oh, God because yeah, everything got knocked down, and then here you are a few years later, and you're like... On fire trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went through a very long season. You know, I was still teaching Awana. I, began, I became the Awana commander, so I actually led it, um, but teaching children. Yeah. Right, because that allowed me to also just, hey, remember what's important. You know, the things that you teach kids, right? I, you don't teach kids all the big surrounding exegetical details around a text that don't matter. You teach them basic principle. And, and it's a good way of reminding you constantly, this is what is really important in the faith and what needs to be communicated, right, to children and how to do it in an effective way. Um, at the same time, I was growing in those details with school and study yeah. and... um Jesus, Jesus even talks about that our faith needs to be childlike, just like like children. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, and and that's really when I started getting that passion. Um, after school, I mean, one thing I learned with graduate studies is that, yeah, I mean, you have really good professors who who give good lectures, and um, you know, I had I had a couple who were very strict in terms of writing and academic writing and research and making sure you you state and define things you. You assume it, you know, one of my problems was I assume definitions a lot. So mm. I assume my definition for something is what everybody shared, with, which isn't always true. So learning mm-hmm. how to define things, like when I say this, this is what it means to me. They're like, oh, well, that actually, when I read that, that means there's so much that is lost between interpretations of people just based off the fact that they have different definitions of things for yeah. the same word, you know. Um, so, you know, all that was good. But really, though, when it comes to just growing in knowledge and, and studying, it was really just reading. And I'm like, well, I can... I can read a lot. I don't have to be in school to read, right? So I continue just to read a lot. Um, but I'll just leave with this, though. And I, I think one of the things about, to the intro that you brought um, about what this podcast is, and, and I guess my teaching approach, is for a while there, I really got deep and heavy into theology, you know, learning all the different systematics of um, and, and different approaches based off of, you know, many of those theologians in the past. And you know, I'm not discrediting them because they've also paved the way and done a lot of good thinking. Um, however, what, what, what I would say, though, is the Bible, proper interpretation of the Bible should form theology. Your theology shouldn't be forming interpretation of the Bible, right? So you need, yeah. a, you need a correct interpretation first before you begin to form the systematic that surrounds it. And what happens often, I saw this in seminary, I saw this in, well, just many people who come, you know, in and out of the Bible study and just talk in Bible, right? Yeah. Um, often they learn theology first, because they want to teach them the systematic to which they can make sense of when they go and study the Bible. Well, here's a theological system that you can apply to to reading it. Well, that's fine if you're absolutely 100% confident that that is the correct system. Um, and what I've found as I've bounced around is realizing like between Molinism and Calvinism and Arminianism and, um, you know, all, everything in between is like, there's a lot of them I think that have a lot of truth, but none of them really seem to capture to me, you know, that, that actually here's the full system of it. It's incomplete, every one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that system's incomplete, but it's through that system that I'm reading the book that is supposed to form that system. I'm already interpreting and reading through a bias, right, that um, I'm not going to grow anymore, right? So um, 
I stopped with the deep the- theological studies. I mean, I was reading, you know, all the patristic authors, Athanasius, the Cappadocian Fathers, Augustine, you know, of course, Calvin, Luther, um, um, all the all the all the big intellectual giants, Origin of Alexandria, you know. But I stopped that, and instead, have actually committed more time to learning historical context to things, cultural context, all that is most, a lot of that actually comes from even non-Christian academic sources, like just learning basic religious or, or marriage practices of, of the day. Mesopotamia in the it, first century. Like, But that's wh- so important too, because exactly arcing back to why we're doing this podcast is that we really don't learn normally the cultural context surrounding this stuff. So we lose the historical aspect. Like these are real people. They lived real lives in real cities that existed in real situations, real civilizations that were going through real problems and um, understanding the history that you can pull just further solidifies that this book is truth. And not just, but it also, for me understanding that I'm like, okay, knowing all of that, you know, surrounding any piece of text. And then I go read a piece of text. I'm like, oh, this is what what it's saying. And this is what they meant. And this is what's happening. And then you're like, yeah, but every, this theological camp takes this to mean this and this to mean this. And I'm like, it's saying none of that. Um, I I think one of the the biggest um, violations of this is what we do with parables, the the parables of Jesus, um, because they're so short and precise and, I mean, we don't get a whole—we miss a lot of context separated by time and space anyways, but even parables tend to be very just, you know, they're, they're very um Yeah, because they're culturally succinct. biased to the society they were in right. when Jesus It assumes them. a lot of, you know what I'm talking about, you know everything surrounding this. I don't have to describe to you all the details, right? Um, if, if I reference 9-11, I don't have to then go into, well— that refers to September 11th, 2001, where oh, Al-Qaeda attacked the World Trade Centers that led us into two... Like, I don't have to give you all that background and context. You know, right? Yeah. So I just say 9-11. What's yeah. that? And like, America in 100 years, like, you would. Even, I, like, some of the kids you meet now that some have Some post-apocalyptic his, world like, who would be... Yeah, you know, data mining things that we, oh we write goodness. about. You know what I mean? Like, and they're going to be like... <laughs> Whoa, the early they keep talking about 9-11. What, what is this 9-11... They would have none of that context. They would have to learn it through, you know, the history first, right? I mean, other stories before and reading stuff like that, someone's diary yeah. about it. It's like, but if you only read their diary, you wouldn't really understand like why they were saying what they were saying, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Read Anne Frank without the context of, you know, um, the Holocaust and World I, War Two. And okay, now now I'm tracking. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't remember where that where that's from. But yeah, yes, yeah. you know, she. Um, but anyways, so. Just to kind of close it up, I guess, I would just say that um, my approach that I have found has brought so much life and fruit um, to studying Scripture is that you first really need to dive into the contextual nature um, that surrounds the text, understanding that to get a proper interpretation that should then inform and start forming a, a system of theology. Um that has provided so much more fruit to me. And in fact, there's so much where I, I just get blown away by it sometimes, and I understand it, and it goes to the heart. I don't even think about the theological implications. I just rest on, on a full belly of hard food that, yeah. you know, you, you just appreciate. And 
Um, I, I think one of the things, you know, that you've, you mentioned much with the podcast and, you know, many others is that, yeah, we don't study context enough. We don't understand it enough. So instead what we do is rely on those theological camps and we just abstract, we make everything either abstract or we make it just very. Or we, or the, it's not even just abstract. It's like a lot of, um, sermons without the historical context can unfortunately turn into, I'm using the scripture to sell a message. Mm-hmm. Or to tell that you something to that with, I need to tell right. you. It's not, I am I saw this in the scripture. This is why it said what it said, and I'm telling you about it. Right. And I, I would also just, if I could throw this as a preamble too, is anything that we present, um, I will try to be very clear about what I feel is essential belief and what I feel is you have freedom. You know you know how liberating it is for, there, there was a, when uh, teaching a men's Bible study, um you know, young Marine, and I told him, I was like, hey, you have freedom on this. He was struggling with a, pers- uh, a, a uh, particular piece of, of scripture, and I said, hey, there's actually a lot of freedom here. You don't, yeah. um, that one view you're telling me is not the only view. There's these other views. You have freedom there. And that was his first time because he thought, because he was doubting that one interpretation, that he was doubting his entire faith. Mm-hmm. And he was, that was his struggle. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you, there's actually, this isn't an essential item. You have freedom in this one. And that just completely just burdened, released, right? And he really started living in a fullness and joy of the faith that he hadn't like been able to. Because one small thing right. was, hang, was like a hang up. And it's like, well, it actually could be interpreted this right. way so, or that way. And I think this is meant to be fun, right? This is meant to be like, hey, let, let's explore these different views um, something that you probably never heard before, and, the, and a lot of mm-hmm. the, the contextual stuff, you know, I'll present things that I think are probably the most probable interpretation, um, because I also think that there's no such thing as multiple interpretations. I think there's really only one true way, one true interpretation. There's only one true way that the author intended to communicate, right? V- mm-hmm. um, you know, Those the spirit things. through, you know, the, the human author to make this point. We need to understand what that is. I don't need to understand what what does this mean to me now in my context. I first need to understand what did it mean to the original audience and here in their context. Once I understand that, then it has multiple applications, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not multiple interpretations. There's really only one interpretation, but it could have multiple application. But you need to really understand that proper interpretation first, and that's what I strive to do. I'm not saying I hit the mark every time. There's probably a lot of things that I... Um, will probably evolve in over time. It's just, we're just talking about it, right? So um, anything that is absolute, I will do my best to say, hey, this is what I think, but I also, you know, there's other views and they're probably just as probable, you know? Yeah, and we'll we'll ask about it when we get there. Right. So uh, I think that that's fantastic and I truly appreciate you diving into a little bit of your testimony and uh, a bit into how you got to the point where you are teaching uh, the way you do now. I wanted to make sure I highlighted that understanding versus interpretation portion. Like we start off with that foundation of knowledge and that's, that's the word, right? And then through that context, we continue to build up a better understanding of that knowledge. And then once you have that uh, knowledge and understanding, now you can start talking about an interpretation. Right. And through that interpretation is how we apply it. But you can't start with the interpretation and then look at the knowledge and try to glean understanding from that. It starts first with, the information with the knowledge. So, what you're talking about is um, in Hebrew thought, it's called parties. It's an acronym P R D S. So, you got the Peshat level, 
the Remez level, the Drosh level, and the Sod level of interpretation. So some of it is like, hey, here's the plane off the top meaning. Here's kind of some of the more personal applicable interpretation meaning. Here is a secret hidden meaning, and here's also a, a meaning that um, points to other things in a more elusive way that's really fun to explore. But that, that's been in a rabbinical practice, you know, even before the time of Christ. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're talking about. I mean, it's you're, very you're, university level thought or that, that critical thinking that should go into that university. Right. But thought. I mean, there's things like a child can read, you know, John three sixteen and get in that very, the most practical, here's the point. Mm-hmm. God loves me. He sent his son to die for me. Right. Um, but then, you know, you can start peeling that back and, um, you know, getting into, well, culturally, you know, the what relationship between context? father and son and mm-hmm. what's being communicated there. There's a lot. Um, there's a lot in, in the, uh, the, at the time of the culture and the relationship between father and son that, um, is being communicated that we miss cause it's not our culture. You know, mm-hmm. you peel it back a little bit more and you can say, well, what does that relationship look like in terms of Christology and, um, Trinitarian thought and you know there's so there's all these different layers right and any one verse is able to provide that's what the beauty of the Bible you can be know absolutely nothing about it read it and get something beautiful from it um, and it can impact you deeply right then you could be like a 80 year old Christian who's believed his entire life reading it, doing deeper level, you know, study and still get this richness and be, find this beauty because it has the depth for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you've lived, you've right. got your whole life leaning into your understanding. And you still realize like, man, there's so much, there's so much here that I don't know. And so yeah. much. And I think that is the joy of life. That's the joy of pursuing Christ is that we're never really going to be fulfilled or satisfied in it. It's the pursuit, you know, it's the, um, it was a C.S. Lewis said that, um, Joy is not the fulfillment of a thing, but the longing for a thing. You yeah. know, much of our joy is the longing for Christ, and um, we'll never be fully satisfied um, for, for this time until he comes back, right? But we have this joy and longing and just pursuing. And even when he is here, we're, he's an infinite, you know, he's an infinite God. We're, we're still going to be learning and growing and longing and always, you know, having um, just that passion to, to learn more. Um, but he's able to span that whole spectrum from you know infant to eternity and i think uh we serve a a very big god a lot to learn um and no matter how much we learn just understand that there's infinitely more we don't you know of course um just keep a humility uh, you know i try to keep a humility with a lot of this um biblical studies of you know i may say things sometimes that i feel like are it's like an absolute affirmative statement but just know that i do accept the fact that there's far more I don't know than I do. So Of course. We have a lot to talk about in these upcoming yeah, episodes. Oh, thank yeah. you for sharing, Ryan. Yeah, so thank yeah, definitely. Thank you. And and that context is super important as we get ready to go in uh to our first podcast, our first like legitimate teaching next week. But uh I just wanted to say thank you for everyone or thank you to everyone for tuning in. Uh I wanna make sure I tell y'all be sure to like, share, and subscribe to be notified each week when we upload new episodes. And Real Bible Stories, it's it's produced in part by Palms Church here in Twin Palms, so the home church of myself, my wife, and Ryan. If you would like more information or you want to check out some archived sermons from the church here uh, and Bible studies, please check out the church's website, and that is palmsbaptistchurch.com, or check out their Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, 
We've got a lot of sources out there. Real Bible Stories can be found wherever podcasts are found. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.